2: To get your job done right, get started at Angie.com. That's A N G I, or download the app today. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus. Containing 200 milligrams of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar, it was formulated to support your well being. And help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all. And tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused.
1: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy.
0: Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and thanks for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. On this edition, we talk COVID-19, quarantine, and travel restrictions. First up, Arnie Weissman, editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, on quarantines and enforcement, or lack of it, and his tribute to two legends, Bill Marriott and Arnie Sorensen. Then we'll hop across the pond and get an update on all things COVID in the United Kingdom with Maureen O'Hare from CNN. She has the update from both London and Ireland. Michelle Barron from Afar Magazine on the pro- Progress being made or not in developing vaccination passports. And then a report from the cockpit with pilot Greg Morris. We know the COVID-19 rules in airline cabins, but are pilots following the same rules up in the cockpit? Morris knows. First, our conversation with Arnie Weissman. So here we are with an average of 2 million Americans getting vaccinated every day, which is pretty good. Um, and at that pace, we're well on our way to uh, to getting everybody done by the end of the year. However, uh, there are lots of other consequences involved, lots of other side discussions involved, a lot of other responsibilities involved. And then, of course, there's the psychology of vaccinations and travel. And someone who just wrote about that, one of our regulars on this show, as well as our PBS show, the travel detective is the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, Arnie Weissman. Hey, Arnie. Hey, Peter. So first of all, let me ask you this. I got my first shot about a week ago, and i, I got to wait three more weeks to get mine. What about you?
3: I got vaccinated first shot uh, about 10 days ago, and I've got about 10 or 11 days ago before the next one, so I am very excited.
0: All right, so the psychology of that is, and by the way, I, I hear you because I'm feeling the same thing, is when I get my second shot, I'm going to go, okay, I got, this, I got this lick now, no problemo, and yet as I continue to tell our listeners, getting vaccinated does not necessarily mean in the real world that you've gotten liberated. Uh, there are still responsibilities here. We will probably be wearing masks for the next year. Uh, as rapid response testing improves, we're probably going to have even more testing, uh, the way we, uh, you know, take our shoes off at the airport in order to go to the grocery store the movie theater or the amusement park or a cruise ship or an airline. Uh, I think you'd agree.
3: I wouldn't. In fact, so yes, the protocols are going to be in place for quite a while. The The other interesting thing on this is the verification of, did you get a vaccine? So I assume that, like me, you got a little gray card, which I could probably scan and reproduce by the thousands. Uh, fill in some dates and names and some, some numbers and write the word Pfizer on it, and the, a person at an immigration desk, an airline, they aren't going to necessarily know that this is legitimate, right? Arnie, so you, brought
0: up, you brought up a point here that I've been yelling about for a long time, because it also involves the COVID-19 tests themselves. Uh, it involves the forms you're asked to fill out when you land in certain states, like New York. Uh, who's checking those forms at the moment they're written? Meaning, when I land in New York, they ask you to fill out a form and I have to ask answer questions like have I, you know, have any COVID-19 symptoms? Have I been around anybody with it? Uh, where was where have I traveled? What airline did I fly in on? What was my, my flight number, my seat number? Where will I be staying in New York? What's my my cell phone number? How many days will I will, will I be quarantining? All those questions. All right, I get the idea. Here's the problem. There's nobody standing over looking over my shoulder as I'm writing this down to verify that it is me that it is my address, that it is my phone number, that they check my boarding pass to see that's really where I sat, I could put down your name, and nobody yeah. would check.
3: And, and so the point... And and, and, even, and,
0: yeah, go uh, ahead, I'm okay, sorry.
3: Even if you're 100% honest and uh, you get to that point where they say, okay, I'm, I'm going to uh, quarantine for 14 days or 10 days or whatever it is, who's going to follow up on that? I mean, there's the the verification beforehand and... The, the, I guess, the enforcement, in a sense, on the other side, uh, is at this point a joke. But uh, there, there are some things coming forward that are going to be huge steps in the right direction. And I don't know if you've talked on your show before about uh, these apps. They're being called health passports. Uh, Common Pass is the one that's probably furthest along and uh, is, is sort of, from what I can see, doing it right because uh, this is a non-profit group uh, and they're working with the World Economic Forum and about 40 different governments. And what is different about uh, others who are producing apps where you fill in yourself what uh, that you got a shot or where you got it and what it was, this actually works with labs, with insurance companies, with Walgreens, with CVS, so that they can verify that you actually have gotten the vaccine when you got it, and it produces a QR code that can be read by uh, the immigration officers when you land, and they know you actually were vaccinated. And that, plus, you can load a test in. They work with labs. And this is the future. I mean, this this is going to be not just when you travel. It's going to be if you want to get into a sporting event, if you want to go to a festival. If you want to check into a hotel, all these things, this is going to become the way things will be. And and maybe not in the short term. It may be the way things are for quite some time, the foreseeable let me, future.
0: Let, yeah, let me go back in, uh, on a second and talk about this. When I check into a flight uh, at a foreign uh, capital uh, or at a foreign airport, and they ask to see my U.S. passport, I give them my passport, and they scan it. They swipe it. And when they do that, it's read. And that that information is sent to about 20 different computers around the world, including the National Crime Index computer, FBI no-fly terrorist computer, many others. A lot of information on that passport that they're going to look at before they're going to let me on the plane, or at the very least know that I'm on the plane, so maybe I'm greeted when I arrive if they really don't want to see me. Uh, So we know that the technology is there to be able to input data and retrieve it. But as you say, and as I've reported as well, there are so many different entities that work on the same concept, and nobody's really talking to each other. So you have countries like Denmark, and they're, pro- they're basically producing a digital passport document for their citizens only. You have a health passport that's being designed by American Airlines that works on American Airlines flights. Uh, you have the International Association, uh, IATA, of, uh, the International Air Transport Association, trying to do something as a pass for all of their airlines, there's no one central repository, no one central clearinghouse, or no one central set of standards as to what will be universally acceptable, readable, updatable, verifiable, and not forging, and not being able to be forged. So I hear you, Arnie, but I'm just still worried about who's going to win the race. Right. So the
3: key is what is called interoperability, where uh, this passport will be able to talk to the various medical communities the national health services and things like that and and for a country like Denmark or virtually any country but the US that has a national health service it's going to be a lot easier uh, so the the format that common pass is using is an open source uh, Platform, which means they want everybody who wants to be able to use. It. It's a nonprofit uh, organization, and they're trying to set standards, uh, which the American Airlines app and IATA, the the um, airlines group, also has an app. Lots of there's like I think fourteen of them at this point. But if they're using this open standards that gets widely adopted, and because they've got the World Economic Forum and countries. And large insurance companies and large drug companies behind it, big laboratories like Quest that are all over the country. That will become the standard. That's certainly my prediction, and that they they are happy to let uh, Verifly, which is the American Airlines app, uh, have access to everything that they do. So, but it requires this interoperability. So this is a huge, huge programming task. So the National Health Service in Denmark and the National Health Service in Singapore and the National Health Service in even China is going to all have to buy into it. So that's step one. Very difficult, right? Big Yeah. It, but then on top of that, in the same way that there are people who are reluctant to get vaccines, there are going to be people who are going to be reluctant to want their medical information in a system Accessible by all those people. So, one, the problem is building it, and second, will they come once it's built? And I think if it becomes required in the same way that you will give up a bunch of information for a passport, and that information you give, by the way, is, is accessible yeah. by all sorts of governments.
0: Arnie, you and I both know two of the people we're about to talk about. Uh, we've known them well, and one of them we just lost uh, tragically. And most of the people listening to this program will recognize the first name because his last name is the brand of the hotel. And then not everybody might recognize the second name who basically was running these hotels. Uh, We're talking about Bill Marriott and Arnie Sorensen. You just wrote a piece uh, about the yin and the yang of both of these gentlemen and I think it's important to understand that in the world of hospitality, it's not necessarily algorithms and data and, uh, you know, projecting demand and annual reports and shareholder calls. The definition of hospitality goes back to the basics of having conversations, of being hospitable, of being welcoming, of being a port in a storm or being a port when there is no storm, um, and so many of us in the business and perhaps even as consumers have lost our way in terms of understanding what the basics of hospitality you know really are. And these are two gentlemen who, who didn't lose their way. Uh, talk a little bit, if you can first uh, about Bill Marriott.
3: Yeah so Bill Marriott is is the son of the founder of of Marriott International Hotels. And there, there's it's interesting if you look at a lot of different businesses. Very often, the the visionary founder uh, of a father or of a mother or a couple uh, establish and put into the ground a great brand with some some really new ways of doing things that that really take root. And very often, it's the next generation that blows it out. That really is able to. Take something that's that's uh, in their blood, and just put it into a whole nother area, and that's exactly what Bill Marriott has done. He's taken his father's very good business, uh, which started, by the way, uh, if I'm remembering right, sort of as a, as, a, as a roadside uh, restaurant, and uh, has has grown now into the largest hotel company in the world by far. By the way, not just by a little, and uh, what. What Bill Marriott brought to the picture was an unrelenting focus on operational excellence. So that if you went to one of his hotels and you liked it and you thought that the standards were were a good match for you, then if you went to another one, you would be assured that that was going to be found there as well. And then when they started proliferating into different brands, that same sense of consistency and reliability was going to be found in the other brand as long as it was under the Marriott umbrella and and Bill Marriott was is a uh, incredibly detailed person so in his suit he would often carry with him uh, a portable thermometer and if he went into a kitchen of a hotel he would drop his thermometer, the end of the thermometer into the soup, if we're cleaned, of course, um, and uh, just to make sure everything was as it was. He was a, is a detailed guy with exacting standards. And then, and then enter, uh,
0: no, Arnie Sorensen.
3: Yeah, enter Arnie Sorensen. Arnie, uh, I mean, it is such, it's difficult almost to talk about him, because even though as a journalist, I probably interviewed him a dozen times. Uh, each time was memorable because he is one of those human beings who could really connect with absolutely everybody he spoke with, and he made you feel like he had a well. It wasn't like made you feel like you felt like you had a relationship with him almost from the start. It was the way he looked you in the eye, talked to you, listened to you, and responded candidly um you know, he he was such an unusual person and what one time um, he said that he likes a little bit of chaos he doesn't necessarily, you know he's he's he was 62 i think when he died 63 and um, he didn't want to necessarily stay in the Ritz Carlton every time he he could he didn't want to stay in the St Regis once they bought Starwood he wanted to stay in some of their funkier brands. He said, "I would like a little bit of chaos." I mean, he he. So he was able to bring a degree of of creativity. Uh, Marriott was never known as as an innovator, particularly. Um, you know, the, when the Westin came out with the heavenly bed, I think it was in every hotel company as quickly as they could tried to come out with a great bed I think it was eight years <laughs> before Marriott made a big announcement that they were coming out with their version of the bed um, but Arnie was was much more willing to take a chance on different things and so some uh, the a lot of the growth that happened with that company, the biggest chance of course he took was and with Bill Marriott the acquisition, of Starwood, which just put them into a league that will be impossible almost yeah. for anybody else to catch up with.
0: But, well, but all I can say is what a guy and all I can yeah. say is what a loss. Uh, he connected with everybody, especially his own employees and the frontline people who are basically the frontline in the hospitality business. My thanks to Arnie. For more than a year now, I've held tickets for a flight to London, and it looks like I might be holding them even longer. Maureen O'Hare from CNN has the update. Everybody wants to know, when can we travel again? Or where can we travel again? Or even how can we travel again? And for some of the great favorite destinations that we have, mostly in the European Union, Uh, Americans love France and Spain and the United Kingdom, no longer in the European Union. Uh, They love Ireland. Uh, Those doors are not yet open for us. But who better to tell us what's going on over there than somebody who is over there? Senior producer at CNN Digital, Maureen O'Hare. How are you, Maureen?
4: I'm good. Uh, I'm good, Peter. How are you?
0: I'm good. I and, and I guess if I wanted to go to the UK right now or to Ireland or to the rest of the European Union with a U.S. passport, I'm sort of out of luck.
4: Yeah, I'm afraid you'll have to wait a while longer and also... It's not a great time here either, because we are in full lockdown, so you won't be able to get to any restaurants, museums, any of the great things for which London is known. It's not quite the city that uh, you knew and loved.
0: Now, with a U.S. passport, there are about 70 places around the world that will allow you to go. Obviously, you have to play by the rules. In many cases, that means submitting a negative COVID-19 test and being mm-hmm. tested uh, in some cases, multiple times during your stay. But let's let's stay over at your side of the pond for a second. What about mm-hmm. Ireland? Is there any indication yet as to when they may reopen?
4: Okay, so I know a little bit more about what's going on in the UK, but... How it's worked so far is that the Republic of Ireland has tended to be, it's it's been more cautious than the UK all along. So I think like both governments are kind of watching to see what the other is doing, and obviously, yeah, kind of uh, coordinating their efforts. But what we are kind of seeing is that Well, the UK has been hit worse overall, you know, highest death rate in Europe. But where it is succeeding is in vaccinations. So now a quarter of the UK population has now had at least their first jab. So that's going really well. But in Ireland, the vaccination rollout is going, you know, it's going at a slower pace um, and that's all. Though you Europe to Brexit, all that kind of thing, <laughs> all that big big topic there. So I think, yeah, that for that reason, things, who knows what way the kind of route might go. But I think that maybe maybe the UK that we might see it kind of opening up sooner than Ireland. But I think they'll they'll sort of be working in tandem.
0: I mean, my guess would be, and it's just intuitive here. That mm-hmm. Europe does not want to be in the same position this summer as they were last summer, with all that lack of revenue from foreign from from foreign tourists and travelers.
4: Certainly not, and you'll see kind of uh, there's quite a lot of uh, countries. There's sort of some countries are sort of pushing for. A global travel pass, for example, Greece is uh, very keen on the kind of idea of, you know, a vaccine passport or pass, Um, while there is quite a few countries that are already letting in kind of vaccinating it to travellers, letting them get quarantined. So we've got Iceland as one of those countries, Cyprus as another. So, yeah, um, people are very keen to get travellers back as soon as they can. And when we mentioned Ireland earlier, obviously the US, uh, the US audience is a massive source of tourism for the republic, so they will be very keen to get people back into Ireland when they can.
0: Well, at least this year, it looks like Americans will not be celebrating St. Patrick's Day in Ireland.
4: No, and uh, St. Patrick's Day will not be celebrating much in Ireland, Isler. So that will be, you know, two St. Patrick's Day in a row where we've not been able to properly celebrate. So, as an Irish woman, you know, it breaks my heart. But uh, yeah, I'll be, <laughs> I'll be doing. I'll, I'll, I'll have some whiskey in the house that day. See what I can, see what I can do.
0: <laughs> We're talking to Maureen O'Hare from CNN Digital <laughs> over in London about the about to drink some whiskey, I guess. Uh, the bottom line <laughs> is though, there's been a movement, and and maybe you've seen it over there, but from so many Americans, and I'm sure some Brits as well, to get out there and try to figure out if they could get a second passport. You know. Um, yes. Uh,
4: yeah. Um, I am one of those people, um, so I'm from Northern Ireland, which is uh, um. It does allow me the possibility of having dual citizenship. I've always had a British passport over the years. It was just not a political choice. It was just a simpler thing to do. But I got my Irish passport as well just in recent years. And it's it's a real delight to be able to know that I have, you know, I have those two options. And it also means that, yeah. So it's and it's all, a yeah. flexibility
0: we're speaking with maureen o'hare from cnn digital over in london you know when we take a look at the power that certain passports have mm-hmm. the u.s passport is somewhat powerful but uh you take you know a passport from saint lucia that gives you like you know visa free entry into about 140 countries uh but then of course the singaporean passport's pretty strong too isn't it uh
4: yes yeah, so um it's Actually, ranked uh, the second most powerful in the world currently, and uh, it sort of skips around the first and top position, first and second positions. So, Japan and Singapore are currently the hottest passports to have, and they get you access to. Um, it's, yeah, I think it's about 170 destinations um, wow. worldwide, and uh, and yeah, so uh, so obviously. Some of us are, are born into having a passport, but also there is a kind of a growing trend amongst the super rich, you know, the, the 1% um, of citizenship by investment programmes where people will actually be able to, per, uh, as it were, purchase a second passport. And there has been a trend in a uh, kind of... A, of um, the elite looking to sort of shore up their options um, for a uh, life post-pandemic.
0: And of course, there are some passports you mentioned, you know, St. Lucia's one, Portugal's another, <laughs> where if you invest in real estate there and dump about $450,000 there, you could get a passport. And these are legal. This is not black market. This is actual programs that these countries are running. Yeah, exactly. There's
4: one thing named. Montenegro is another option you can get uh, you can get a Montenegro passport by investing just around three hundred thousand US dollars. Um, and Canada, you can get that for just under nine hundred thousand dollars. And so it is possible. Um. To yeah, these kind of yeah, it's uh, uh these programs are real. Um. But they they do cost you, and there is obviously lots of kind of. There's kind of a, you're not just going to walk in, be able to land your right. money down on the table. But yeah, there will be, uh, there's, they're also kind of known as golden visas. <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. And the thing is this if I had a Portuguese password right now, I could go to the European countries without a problem. Um,
4: yeah, I guess that, uh, I suppose it's. It would really depend on which country you are going into. So, so um and yeah, it would might get you into some, but then there will be different kind of points of entry for each. So, for example, you know, you could be someone who has a UK passport and you're coming from one of their current like banned countries, you know, their, their red list country. But if you're arriving in, you might still face you know a hotel quarantine. So, uh, if a British residents is returning to the UK right now. They have to uh, pay, you know, $2,500 to stay in a hotel for 10 days. So, you know, it's, it's uh, yeah, there's different requirements for each, and it's very fast-moving all the time.
0: And I may tell everybody that uh, recently in the last couple of days, uh, for people who are coming into London and even the ones coming into London legally, the wait times to go through customs and immigration at Heathrow has been seven hours. It's crazy. Yes,
4: yes. Yeah, if you're expecting a quiet time in Heathrow, you would, like, be, I guess sort of like, for those of us who've been stuck at home for months and months, we sort of imagine that airports are kind of quiet wildernesses currently, but that is not the case. There is, as you said, there's long wait times, lots of texts, and also because there is much uh, lower volume of, Being put on, those flights that are coming in are surprisingly busy.
0: They are. I've not. By the way, I've not been on an empty airplane in the last two months. And these are on routes from, ranging from Los Angeles to New York to uh, New York to Istanbul. I mean, the people who are flying are definitely flying. So, what's your prediction Mm -hmm. here, Maureen? As we get closer and closer to the summer months, I would assume the pressure is pretty strong on certain governments to start opening those borders just based on the economics of it.
4: Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing quite like a boom in domestic travel. And, uh, for example, uh, well, going to the U.S. the second, I believe that the U.S. is uh, going to be hitting a predicted million passengers a day, every day by March. So just in time for spring break. So I think in Europe as well, we will see... It's probably not long before the EU comes to an arrangement within itself um, uh, off travel within that. Um, the UK, we'll see what happens there because uh, you know <laughs> there's a bit of recent history there. So we'll see uh, we'll see what's allowed in terms of the UK. whether weller, weller, we're allowed to join the party. Um, but yeah, I think. Uh,
0: My thanks to Maureen. So is the answer to our travel woes to be found in a vaccination passport? Michelle Barron from Afar Magazine may have the answers. If you're like me, you get questions asked all the time. In fact, you're also asking questions. Funnily enough, it's the same question. Did you get vaccinated? And where? And which one did you get? Was it Pfizer? Was it Moderna? Are you holding out for Johnson & Johnson? Or AstraZeneca? Uh, Or even the Chinese vaccination? Uh, Everybody seems to think that once you get vaccinated, your next stop is going to be the airport and a trip overseas. Well, as many European countries will tell you, not so fast. They have not yet reopened, especially to Americans. Same is true in Asia, uh, in parts of Africa, a little bit better in in the Caribbean and certainly in Mexico. Canada doesn't want to know from you right now. Not at all. They might later, but not right now. So the real question is, you know, will this be followed by vaccination passports? Joining me now, the travel news editor at Afar.com, Michelle Barron. Hey, Michelle. Hey there. So let's talk about that. Everybody's talking about a vaccine passport. Uh, Sort of reminds me of the old yellow health card. Uh, There are some people, you know, embracing the technology at lightning speed. They're developing it. Uh, some, Some countries are developing it, not just the private sector. Uh, Denmark is coming up with a digital passport for its citizens that'll give you instantaneously updates on their medical vaccination di- uh, condition, uh, their COVID latest COVID nineteen test, etc., etc. But that's just for the citizens of Denmark. Uh, American Airlines has an app that will give you all your updated medical information to show American Airlines Gator counter agents. Okay, great, but that's not going to work at United or Delta. So I guess we got a problem that. Everybody wants the solution. They know it's going to be a vaccine passport, most likely a digital document. But who's going to who's going to be the person to say, it's going to look like this, it's going to feel like this, and we're going to accept it on a universal level? I haven't heard that yet. Have you?
5: No, I haven't. And you're absolutely right. For all the <laughs> fancy uh, digital technology that's being proposed, at the end of the day, whether it's an app or a piece of paper, it's the government's. That are going to decide, uh, you know, who enters their country or you know their jurisdiction and under what conditions.
0: Yeah, and and everybody's operating in a silo. Nobody's talking yeah. to each other. It's right. it's a little crazy. I mean, for example, right. And
1: it's,
0: yeah. I was about to say, if I get on a plane overseas to come to the United States, they ask to see my passport. I give them my passport. They swipe it, and the information on that swipe is instantaneously sent to about 18 different computers in the United States, ranging from the National Crime Index computer to see if there are any outstanding warrants for me, uh, a security uh, computer that will tell anybody if I'm already on the no-fly list or deserve to be on the no-fly list, It's uh, and many other data banks as well, so that before I ever get on the plane, they know I'm coming, and I've either been cleared or there'll be a lot of fun people waiting for me when the plane lands. Either way. Uh I'm assuming we could do the same thing with that passport scan, uh, if they had the if they had the hardware for it, and the software as well, to make sure it was universally accepted, universally readable, and universally updatable, and last but not least, impossible to forge. And right now, I'm not seeing that. I don't think you are either.
5: Yeah, no, I I, I think that um, all the the privacy and security security. Concerns are certainly valid, as are the ethical questions around it. You know, uh, is it the right thing to do to to require people to have some kind of um, vaccine or health passport in order to be able to enter a country?
0: Well, I think as a public health issue, it may not be an argument that lasts for long. It may just be mandatory,
5: right? And I think what we're starting to see from governments, the ones that are tiptoeing into this realm, is that. Even those countries that are going to um, allow those who are vaccinated to, to bypass a certain quarantine measures or testing requirements will also have other measures such as testing or quarantines that those who aren't vaccinated would be able you know, to submit to uh, so that you don't have this ethical quandary necessarily of it's either you're vaccinated and you're in, or you're not vaccinated, or you're not. And I think that's also part of what um, the delay is kind of establishing almost this, you know, two-step or three-step system where it's not one or the other, but how can you give an option to those who are vaccinated that that's viable, um, that, that makes sense, and then also an option to those that aren't that would still satisfy any kind of public health concern?
0: Well, I'll give you a for instance, right? Person A says... Um you know, I don't want to get vaccinated. I don't believe in it, but I want to go on a cruise. The cruise lines say you can't come on a cruise unless you can show positive proof of both doses and that you've been vaccinated. Now, what do we do?
5: Well, that's you know, I I think that's their you know, they're private companies and and similar to the testing requirements that uh, you know they've they companies and um, governments have had. That's you know, their prerogative if they want to have that added layer of safety. It's you know. They as a private company. Um, and you know, so far, we've only seen there's only, I think, about three cruise lines that have that uh, the vaccination requirement for for passengers. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see more. Um, but, you know, just as it's your right to choose not to get vaccinated, uh, it's their right to, to decide what kind of public health standards they want to
0: hold. Yeah. And, and so we're sort of a brave new world here because nobody knows the answer.
5: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it is going to, and I think that again, that's why we're not seeing, um, you know, this. It's it's complicated, and so I think you know everybody's sort of like, okay, we're vaccinated, so where can we go? What can we do? And there's not even policies in place. You mentioned, you know, at the start of the show that there it's uh, you you know you're vaccinated, but a lot of these countries are still off limits, and that's because they still haven't figured out all these technicalities of how this would all this would all play out.
0: Yeah, and not only are they off limits, but just getting vaccinated doesn't mean you've, you know, skirted the idea of a test. You're going to get tested as well, and maybe right. more than once, right. and maybe more right. than once.
5: Right, and that's what I tell everybody that's getting, you know, that, that wants to head out, you know, very soon. You know, obviously you should wait at least two weeks after your second dose to, um, for it to go into effect. But for those who, who feel like they have that added layer of protection are ready to do some traveling, As of right now, we really don't have any any, you know, company or country aside from a really I think there's, you know, a a few countries that have had that have implemented a policy or just talked about a policy. They haven't even implemented it yet. I think Seychelles has maybe Um, and these few cruise lines. But otherwise, you are still going to be held to the standard that everyone else is. They haven't replaced the testing requirements or the quarantine requirements yet with you know the vaccine option. So anyone h- heading out relatively soon in the net within the next month or two should expect that they're still going to have to provide the you know negative COVID test if that's required or quarantine if that's required. There's no, you know, I'm not seeing any options bypass that within the next say few weeks. You know, no. I don't, no I don't see yeah.
0: I'm with you. I don't see yeah. any government agency you know giving anybody slack on that because nobody wants to relax the deal on their watch. We're going to be doing right. this for a while. We're going to be doing yeah. this for a while. And, yeah. and and for those people who, you know, look are looking to go from here to Australia, keep in mind, you know, already Qantas has made the announcement that when they resume flying, which will be in about October on their long haul routes, you can't get a reservation on the plane without proving that you've been vaccinated. And you start that with the airline on long haul travel, you're going to see other airlines kick in.
5: Right, right. And You know, there's other issues there, too. We get questions like, what about kids? Kids aren't likely to get uh, vaccinated this year even um, because of the trial and the way that's rolling out. So what does that mean for for families, you know, traveling with younger children and, um, you know, and then obviously for in other countries where the rollout isn't, you know, taking place as quickly um, there's there's a lot of issues there um, when it comes to, you know, who's who's the, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated and those who want to get vaccinated. But it's just not an option going to be an option anytime soon.
0: And then what you got to really watch out for, and I've seen it happen before too many times, is, you know, that negative reciprocity. Uh, for example, at one point we were charging Argentinian citizens one hundred and thirty eight dollars to come into the United States. Uh, so the minute we did that, what did Argentina do? They imposed a, a, an entry tax of $138 on Americans. And before you knew it, this you know reciprocity war was being waged and everybody was collecting revenue. It was nuts. And uh, right, I, I see the same thing happening here in reciprocity when it comes to regulations and lockdowns and vaccinations. We're talking to, to Michelle Barron, the uh, travel news editor at AFAR.com. There's so many other travel magazines out there that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mention them. I'm just going to say that They've become advertorials, um, and it's difficult to read because I remember the way they used to be. Uh, Afar hasn't gone that route, and that's that's why I like to read them. Um, and it's, it's a really well-put-together magazine, and if I can say so, it's a thoughtful magazine. So in the area of thoughtfulness, let's figure out with Michelle where we go from here, because everybody's going to want to get a vaccine only because there's a difference between the need for travel and and the want for travel. And there may be people out there who don't want to get a vaccine at all, but they're going to want to travel, so they'll be reluctantly dragged, you know, kicking and screaming to get it. Um, and then you have the litigation aspects. You know, we haven't even dealt with the li- you know, liability issues here, which I guarantee you there's not a corporation out there worried about liability in the age of COVID-19. Right,
5: right. I mean, we saw, you know, we're seeing that, you know, with the cruise lines and, you know, uh, them have now... Looking at how to be so careful um, going forward, they're held to really a different standard in terms of um, how they report COVID cases on board, and, and that's why we we find that always find out about them, um, and and it becomes an issue. And it's been such a you know, and they were really uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic. The cruise lines really you know, the outbreaks on board really defined the star of this pandemic in such a dramatic way. So I think we're seeing now. Um, they, I think they provide a really good example of a segment of the travel industry that's just having to proceed very cautiously um, because of some of those issues, and just having to really take into account that they really are under the spotlight when it comes to um, the you know this whole public health crisis.
0: So, crystal ball this for me, because my guess is we're going to have an intersection between the wider dissemination of the vaccine, the development technologically of much more reliable, rapid result testing, and, of course, the pent-up demand to travel. And my crystal ball tells me we're going to see that around between the 1st and the 15th of April. Um, And I go back to what happened over over the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, where the CDC was telling Americans, please don't travel, and Americans ignored them. And what I found particularly interesting was where were the Americans going who were traveling in the United States? Well, guess what? They were not traveling to visit granny. They yeah, were just traveling right. to go anywhere. They just wanted to get the you-know-what out of town. So I guess given that pent-up demand in the intersection, that's when we're going to start seeing things to move start quickly. Now, nowhere near 2019 levels, but measurable yeah. increases, I think.
5: Yeah, I think everybody's expecting summer to be um, pretty... Uh, pretty wild in terms of the, you know, the number of people that are vaccinated and the pent-up demand and all of that converging. I think you're right by spring, um, you know, people will be solidifying those plans. Um, but I think it comes back to the fact that they, you know, just because people want to go doesn't mean that the borders will have flown open. Um, so one thing that I tell a lot of people who are, you know, champing at the bit to to get out there, I you know, my advice is, to a lot of people is like, at least for some of those first trips, just plan to go somewhere that you actually can go where it actually is open yeah. to travelers right now. You know, so many people are, when can I go to Europe? When can I go to Europe? You know what? It's complicated. So if you really want to satisfy some of that wanderlust, you know, and, and, and not have to, you know, cancel and reschedule again, why not plan some trips, at least, you know, for between now and summer to somewhere that you could go right now, today, somewhere, yeah. you know, so, so, so don't count on, you know, travel restrictions being relaxed between now and then, because as we've seen, it's a wild ride with the variants, um, with the vaccine rollout. Plan somewhere where you can go today, and let, let's see how it goes. You know, let's see how things, how, um, but you know, I think uh, you, you might be setting yourself up for some disappointment if you start planning some really far-flung trips, you know, for, for say for this spring. Um I would say just plan somewhere where, where you can go right now.
0: I agree, and I'm reminded of uh, the one overriding lesson I learned from the movie Saving Private Ryan. How about this for a segue? My overriding lesson was not a good idea to be in the first wave. There yeah. you go. We're done. Right? Right. right. And, and I, I believe that here too. You know, I never want to buy a new car in its first model year. I don't want to be first in line at anything That's, that hasn't been tested yet. And I feel the same way about the travel choices we're going to be making in the age of Corona-19.
5: Yeah, and we saw that. We've seen that already with the testing. For example, you know, when, when Hawaii first opened up, you know, when they swapped the quarantine requirement for a testing requirement, of course, those first few flights, those first few days, they're, you know, they have, there's going to be long lines as they figure, you know, as you, as they sort it all out, you know, how, how to get things moving smoothly. And the same thing's going to happen as, as countries open up, as, you know, all of this is really new. All of the tech is new. The, the, you know requirements are new it's so yeah i think you, you know you have the even even waiting a week or or a month after um you know certain uh countries and uh, governments open up i think is is not the worst idea <laughs> let them yeah. iron things out a little bit
0: my thanks to michelle Next, we enter the cockpit with pilot Greg Morris to get his view from 35,000 feet on COVID-19. So what are the pilots saying? More importantly, how are they behaving? You know, we all know what the rules are when we fly. Uh, we know they get, and they're getting enforced, right? You gotta wear your mask, you gotta mask up. And in fact, if you don't, you're in violation of now a federal rule issued by the Department of Transportation and enforced by the TSA, part of the Department of Homeland Security, otherwise known as the Federales. And it's not about just getting fined by the airline. It's not about just getting banned by the airline. You're going to get arrested. Uh, and that's the, that's the nature of that game. All right, we understand how that rule plays out for passengers. But what's the rule for the folks in the cockpit? Are they required to wear masks or do they just take them off the minute they close that cockpit door? Joining us now, one of our regulars on the show, Captain Greg Morris, who may have an answer. Hey, Greg. Hey, Peter. Great to be back. So tell me, who's who's, who's wearing the mask?
2: Yeah, the answer may surprise you. I think the answer is going to surprise a lot of folks out there. Uh, you know, I reached out to the airlines directly. I wanted to know, uh, you know, I do this job day in and day out. Uh, I take certain actions. I follow CDC guidelines. But I've noticed that not everybody is inclined to do the same. So I reached out to the big four, for starters. Uh, that is, of course, Delta, uh, American, United, and Southwest, too. And I asked them the question that you just raised. We know that uh, masks are mandated, now federally mandated, to be worn by passengers, They're worn by flight attendants, And as far as we all know and and see in everyday uh, existence within a terminal and an airline environment, they're worn in front of the public. But when we close that cockpit door, well, not necessarily the case. So Delta Airlines definitively said to me that pilots will wear masks per their company policy at all times, with the brief exception of eating and drinking, and when operational constraints dictate. And I said, well, so what does that mean? And they said, well, if, you know, we're holding, uh, there are thunderstorms, and the pilots can't hear themselves clearly, can't communicate effectively, well, then they're allowed to take off the mask. But the other remaining airlines making up the big four have much more lenient, lenient policies in place, and they essentially base falling back on FAA Regulation, something called the safety alert for operators, take exception if they feel it's appropriate, so they don't have to wear the masks behind closed doors in the duration of or in the course of flight.
0: All right, so let's let's extrapolate on that. Meaning, uh, do we see a a, a higher increase in COVID nineteen cases among pilots with those airlines having more lenient restrictions?
2: Well, you know that's a great question, and it's a question that I posed to the airlines, giving me all of the great things that they're doing. Um, and they would not share that information for me. They said it's, you know, it's uh, protected by HIPAA regulations. So in this one conversation, we're talking about HIPAA and we're talking about HEPA. Because HEPA are the filters that they yeah. are, 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 are touting that are basically a la- uh, filtrating the air aboard these aircrafts, hospital-grade filters, that, uh, you know, the claims are they take out ninety nine percent of the particulate matter. The question that I ask to them is, so if we're on the flight deck, a pilot says, you know what, I don't want to wear the mask. It affects the safety of operation. So we're sitting there in close confines, far less than the six feet separation that CDC recommends. And these pilots not wearing masks, one of them sneezes, one of them coughs. You know, in the back of the airplane, it all makes us cringe when we hear somebody sneeze or cough. The bubble over our heads is, hey, I sure hope that person doesn't have COVID, but in the cabin, everybody's wearing a mask. Not necessarily the case on the flight deck these days.
0: And you mentioned HIPAA, and I'm not a lawyer. I don't play one on TV, but I would guess that the HIPAA laws don't apply here because we're not asking for the names of the pilots. We're not asking for where they live. We're just saying, can you give us the incidence numbers of whether or not there's a higher incident of COVID-19 among among pilots for airlines that have more lenient restrictions about who needs to wear a mask in the cockpit. And if they're not telling you that, that, that starts to bother me. It, it
2: requires, I think, more investigative uh, reporting and digging to get to some of the numbers and what the airlines are reporting currently in terms of COVID cases amongst uh, their own work groups, for sure. And I'm not a lawyer either, although sometimes I do stay at a Holiday and Express.
0: Oh, you know what? You were doing so well until you did that. <laughs> but here's the here's the here, here's the bottom line. There is more investigative reporting needed, not just on that, but even pre-pandemic, the incidence of skin cancer on flight crews and and cockpit crews is much higher than it is for the for the regular public, and that that, that talks about ozone layers and, and how you protect your skin when you're flying. Uh, we're we're going to cover that in, in, in upcoming shows, especially as we get into the summer months. People need to know uh, what they need to know, and the numbers do support that. So, uh, uh, Greg Morris, when you come back, give us more information on the masks in the cockpit and also give us more information on whether there's any new medical data, HIPAA notwithstanding, on the incidence of skin cancer among pilots and flight attendants. I think it's something that we really, really, really need to know. Because for someone like me, who travels over 400,000 miles a year, I might as well be a cockpit crew member based on what I'm seeing in terms of that incident. So it concerns the frequent flyers as well. My thanks to Greg, to Michelle Barron, to Maureen O'Hare, and to Arnie Weissman. And my thanks to you for listening to this ION Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, just log on to petergreenberg.com. If you like ION Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Survivor's back, and so is On
2: Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.